Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical, actually every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 29. Our special guest is Mary Ann Lamb. Welcome, Mary Ann Lamb. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So we're sitting here in the NDI studios, which is uh, formed by Jacques Demboise. Yes. Which is a fantastic facility. So I'm going to start by reading your credits, and we will go from there. Okay. Uh, sometimes IBMD is wrong, so you might have to fill in some blanks okay. for me. Song and Dance, Starlight Express, Carrie, Jerome Robbins Broadway, The Goodbye Girl, Eight Encores, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Chicago on Broadway and the Film, Fosse, Susical, and Curtains. And Contact. And Contact? I can't believe they missed Contact. Well, I think it's because it's on a D-Lort contract, it may be that, it's Lincoln Center, I don't know. Oh, But wow. it's never there. And also, it, I always remember that I did it because I had to buy myself out of that contract for $12,000. Really? Because you always think that you gotta buy yourself out of contracts, and you really do, and, and, and I'm so happy I did because I love the show so much, um, Contact. It was one of my favorite shows that I've ever danced, and I love the cast, that cast was amazing. And, but I had a dream of doing the Chicago movie. Oh. And so I bought myself out of that contract. That's a good Chicago. dream. And it was a good dream because of, I've always wanted to dance movies. So. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love it. So where are you from and how did you get started? I'm from Seattle, Washington, and um, I have seven brothers and sisters in there in Seattle, and I am terribly dyslexic. I don't, I never knew my right or my left. My, and I still don't. Well, Driving in a car too. with me is scary. Yeah, explain that to me, because my brother's dyslexic, and my mom always says, oh, he's dyslexic, and I just go, oh, okay, I don't really get it. I think that my feeling is, this is how I feel. I feel like growing up, I didn't know how to read until I was in the ninth grade. And now I read, if you know me, I read several books a week. A week? Uh, yeah, I'm a big, big reader. I always have several books going on. I read the, I'm constantly reading. I love reading. But um, I had two things as a child. I was hyperactive. I think, I think that my parents had eight kids and that they couldn't focus on all of us. And I think in a way it was a gift for me because I think she, my mother would have drugged me oh, nowadays right. instead of putting me in ballet class. Where do you and fall in the eight kids? Seven. I'm number seven. Oh, okay. So almost a baby. I had, there's four boys and four girls. And then I, I was born with dyslexia. And it's like, I, it, back in that time period, they used to think it was a learning disability. But now I think it's a brilliant gift. And then I think sometimes when kids have ADD or hyperactive and dyslexia and all these learning dis disabilities, I honestly believe that they're gifts because it makes us think differently. Absolutely. And I had to learn to, um, I had to learn to figure out how to pass school with anyone knowing that I couldn't read. And how did you do that? Verbally. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did it so verbally. I, I sit back sometimes and I would make like, I couldn't, if I didn't know what the word aluminum was, I knew what it was. I would just say metal. 
a light metal. Like I would learn to substitute words. The, um, the hard part of that, the great thing about it is that with dyslexia, I never know my right or my left. And I was a very even dancer. Because to this day, if you said turn right, unless I have my wedding ring on, I don't know what is my right hand. So I learned to actually turn pretty even. I can kick pretty evenly. I, I don't have like one side stronger than the other. Right. What about I, writing with your hand? I literally was raised in Catholic school, you know, and I'm a thousand years old, and they did not allow you to be left handed, so they switched me to my right hand. Wow. So I feel like I do some things with my right hands and some things with my left hand. That's amazing. I don't know yeah. many dancers that can do stuff. <laughs> I'm, everyone's like, oh, I'm left legged, I'm right legged. Except driving in a car with me is frightening. <laughs> You'll be like, turn right. No, that's left. It's like, you're like, ah. I mean, I'm like, I'm horrible to drive in a car with, and I love driving, so anyway. Uh, so when did your parents stick you into ballet class? Well, I, um, because I had this amazing amount of energy, and if you know me, I still have this amazing amount of energy, I um, knew at the age of seven, I was homesick from school, and I saw this show, Summerstock. I always tell this story with Gene Kelly and Judy Garland. Mm. And they build a barn and they put up a show. And I was like, oh my God, I have to be Gene Kelly. I have to be this man. I never wanted to be um, Judy Garland. And that's probably why I guess I don't sing well. But I <laughs> wanted to be Gene Kelly. I wanted to like be that physical, in the ground, dancing on boards. You gotta see that movie. That movie is so spectacular. So I started bugging my mom about that how much I wanted to dance. And she with eight kids, you know, they couldn't afford it. So I ended up working in a dance studio and like cleaning the bathrooms and you know, to pay for my um my classes, and I think back how crazy it was, because at a young age, I would take a bus by myself into my dance class, and then take my bus home at night, and I, because, you know, my mom was overwhelmed with eight children. Oh, I bet. So it's amazing, my independence at a very young age. Would you let one of your kids now take a bus by themselves? No. <laughs> and I have kids, I'd be like, no way! But back then I did, and I thought, what an amazing, and to me, I was, I know you can't believe it, but because of my dyslexia, I was shy, which I'm, you know, you would never know I'm shy. Now. Never. I'm so crazy. But, um, and um, I didn't speak a lot. I mean, I tried to, oh, I was always trying to figure out how to get by without someone knowing that I couldn't read, I think. And, um, and I remember being in dance class and feeling that no one knew me here. There was very few kids that went to my school, my Catholic school, that took this dance class, and I could reinvent myself in this dance studio. And what was really cool, I ended up having like two families, my family and my dance family. And my dance teacher became my second mother. Mm. And every summer she would bring us to San Francisco and we would dance at Oakland Ballet and all these funky dance studios in San Francisco. But she would always tell me, you will end up in New York. And, I, and um, she would always say to me, which was so sweet, because in my dance school, there was amazing dancers that were really ballerinas. And I um, wanted to be a ballerina, of course. But I, um, she knew I never was going to be a ballerina. Mm. I just did not have the body. And you know, I, I would hear music 
my own way. And, um, and she kept on saying, you're an artist and you'll end up in New York. So she planted that seed for me, a seed that coming from Seattle, Washington, New York seems so far away. Oh, absolutely. You know, and so I have an interesting journey, um, which is very different than nowadays. Yes. But at the, um, my first job was um, I became a Seattle Sea Gal, which was a cheerleader. Oh, for the Seattle Seahawks. I was 15 years old, 16. And then at 16 years old, I, for Greg Thompson's Follies, I became a dancer with the Follies at the age of 16. That's amazing. Yeah, and I lied to them and, because you were not allowed to be, um, you know, 16 under the age of 18. But back then they didn't have Google. Right, <laughs> yes. So I just said I was 18. But then I made a deal with my mother that high school and events from high school is very important to my mother and my family. It was not for me. But she said, I will let you do correspondence school and graduate early and do all that if you went to your prom and if you walked with your gown. And I said, okay, fine. That seemed like years away. Right. Sure enough, I turn 18. I have to go to a prom. I'm in, you know, I'm a Vegas showgirl by this time. <laughs> I, and and um, I have to ask for prom night off because it's a Saturday. <laughs> two shows, and I take, and they they were like, "What do you mean?" And I and I said, "I, am a, I was 18." But what was really cool, instead of being mad at me, um, the producer said, "Fine, do you have a date?" And I'm like, "No. Why don't you take the boys?" So I took six of the gay, beautiful dancers that I was working with. One of them's my very best friend in the whole world. And they let us use all the white tuxes. And I got to wear one of the gold lame dresses that was the understudies dress. Oh and my I went gosh. to the prom. And we had a blast. We danced all night long. That is 1978. amazing. Isn't that crazy? Well, how was Vegas for being 16 at that um, time? Because it's very different than it is now. It is. And I, I um, there, you know what? I was so naive, you know, I was so, all what I wanted to do was dance. I ask, I sit back now because I'm a mother and I think, how did my mom let me go so young? Yeah. And she said, there was no way stopping you. And I thought, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> there was no way stopping me. So, um, but you must have done something oh, that I made her trust you. Vegas was so interesting. I, I was in the dunes in Las Vegas. My first job actually was at the Golden Nugget in Reno, Nevada, and I was in the lounge show there. And but I remember meeting like showgirls that dated pit bosses, you know. And those oh yeah. Of, yeah. And that they, one girl ended up missing the show because she got in a big fight with him, and he locked her in the trunk of his car and she missed the show. And I remember thinking, that's odd. I was so naive. <laughs> One of my favorite naivety stories ever is I worked with this drop-dead gorgeous showgirl and she was from Hawaii and she had long hair and she always peed standing up. And I always thought, why isn't she sitting down? And it wasn't until years later that I realized she was she was a man. Oh wow! And she had fake tits, and she was this beautiful man. And I and I met her. There used to be a, a drag bar in L.A. called um, Queen of Hearts. And I met her years later, and I was like, Oh my goodness! How did, was I that naive? And I realized I was. Yep. I was that naive. Well, it's probably good because then you weren't distracted. Yeah. yeah. But my focus was always to go to Broadway, and I like telling this story because I think that young dancers look at us and think that we 
had normal like went to college come to New York and get a Broadway show right away oh right and exactly for me I didn't go to college and there was no really a lot of, there was not a lot of musical theater programs at that time you know in the 70s and the streets you don't look old enough to and <laughs> be in the You're 70s so just sweet. to say that You're so sweet but to me I took every job I could possibly take to dance and I ended up taking a job in to Israel and I danced Televisiano in Mexico City and I went to Mo Monte Carlo and I lived in Bermuda I would just take any job I can as a dancer and but my dream was to get me to Broadway and at 18 years old my dance teacher brought me to New York mm. And we stayed at the Edison Hotel in 1978. And I had $500 in my pocket. And she's, and I remember, I always tell the same stories, but I got to tell this story because I think you'll, there was, you know, drinking was 18 at the time. And I was scared, really scared in New York. I was scared. I was, I, in Vegas, you always have a community, and right. I have no community all of a sudden. I'm out here by myself. And she was going to, Camille Chrysler, who's like my second mom, we stayed at the Edison, and we saw Dancing, which had Anne Ryan King in uh. it, and, you know, which was so brilliant. She's from Seattle. And um, we saw um, um, Whoopi, which was a big tap show. And we saw... Um, a play and I'd never Equus oh wow and I'd never seen a play on stage and I remember thinking it was like there was so much magic but it seemed so far away I was told that I, that I'd never make it in New York because you have to be so talented from this pro producer and I believed him and when you go and watch a Broadway show you do believe someone who's giving you that kind of negativity because you're like how could I ever get to look like Renee Sobias <laughs> ever right you know there's like amazing dancers you're seeing but that night before she left, she, she said, let's go to a bar and, and drink. And I was like, oh my God, I had never done that before. So I went and I bought, uh, this is how naive I was, a, a little thing of strawberries. And I gave it to the bartender at the Edison Hotel bar to make me a strawberry daiquiri. Because <laughs> I was thinking maybe this would taste good. And who was in the bar teasing me was Ray Charles and his band. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and we ended up partying and getting drunk and dancing and being crazy. And they all asked us to come out, to, me and my dance teacher, to go out to Jersey City and see him in concert. And I remember taking, you know, all the way to Jersey City, taking the cab and watching Ray Charles' show. And I thought, I have to live in New York City. This is where magic happens. Absolutely. So, but magic didn't last long for me because I was so scared. I had a, a difficult time being left there and, and I left New York City. My, I, I even, I could tell you many more stories, my naivety journey, but I left. I could not, my, I was just too scared to be on my own. Mm. I would take classes and and so I went back to Vegas, and I went back to the Follies. And, um, and, but my dream was to come back. I had to come back. And so I ended up getting the Playboy Club circuit. 
Oh, yes. really? Yes. This is how I got back to New York. I, um, they had a circuit of Playboy clubs, and I, we did a lounge show, and I did Great Gorge, New, New Jersey, and um, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin had a Playboy club, and of course, Dallas had a Playboy club, and Los Angeles had a Playboy club, and I was just waiting to get to 59th Street, had a Playboy oh. club, and sure enough, we ended up at the Playboy club on 59th Street, and um, after that show, I thought, I have to try this again, mm. and I did. And you stayed. And I stayed, and, and I ended up being more involved and more mature enough to handle New York at that time. And, and How old were you then? Um, I, I want to I, I say it must have been in 1982-ish. I was about 22 years old at this time. Yeah, that's how old I was when I got yeah. here. Yeah, I was mature enough. I, how did you feel? Did you feel like you were mature enough to like handle it? Then? I was. I was furious my mom didn't let me come when I was 18. Yeah. And now looking back, I would have I imploded at 18. So yeah. it was good to have a little breather of growing up And did you start it. taking classes, like find your community through classes, studios? Oh, as soon as I got here, yes. Yeah, I did too. Yes. Like Michael Owens became my mentor and yeah. I be I found my community through dancing, and it's important to have a community in New York <sighs> City because this city can eat you alive. Yeah, and you have to have a safe place. You have yeah. to. I mean, even if it's just your hole in the wall closet yeah. of a, a apartment. Forty eighth and tenth over the laundromat. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what did? Uh, how did you start auditioning when you got to New York, or how did you begin looking for your dream of being on Broadway? Um. I what I what I ended up doing was going to dance classes. I think like you you did too. And and the oh, Broadway dance, the old location. Broadway dance. Also, um, I I did Doug Wassell and at the Ed Sel Ed Sullivan Building, which Michael Owens and you know Michelle Asoff and Doug Wassell and you know it was like it was probably where you know David Letterman had his offices <laughs> but it used to be dance studios there and, and 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 I started you know taking class and back then I know that you did this too we we would take several classes a day oh you, absolutely you lived in those dance studios yes and I, I would sit back and I was so kooky I would I'm I'm eccentric I had a very eccentric like I think now, people go, Marianne's so crazy and eccentric. It's because I've always been eccentric. My life, my, when 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 you think, as a young child or a young girl dr growing up, that you would live your Broadway life and then you live your personal life, and you separate them. Yes. Mine was never separated. No. Ever. I mean, mine was always kind of mangled together <laughs> yes well i think that that makes yeah. it successful because you don't you can't you can leave your baggage at the door when you yeah. walk in but you can't leave your life at the door no and my life always came into the stage door with me and i mean you i tried my best to escape on that stage and find my artistry remember at a very young age i was told that you're an artist first you're an artist first so i approached always my work as an artist like but I mean, for a perfect example, um, um, I was ashamed in a way that I came from Vegas when I came to New York, which was ridiculous because the, Vegas taught me how to be a performer. 
Absolutely. and how to really live. But I'd never told anybody because I was so scared that they would judge me for being less than. Which I sit back now and I think, that's so silly. Yes. That's so silly. Now Vegas is like an entertainment capital of the world. Absolutely. You be proud of it. But and you also learned to probably be comfortable with your body at an early age. Yes, I was. And, and I had to learn to sing in the Vegas show. And that's out of my life. That has been my weakest card, you know, is singing. And I had to learn to stand up and, you know, and present myself. And, but I was, I was shy of it. And I always tell this story, too. We would, as you know, we would go to backstage. I didn't have agents or anything. Yep. And we would, I would stand for hours and hours and hours and stand in these open calls. Oh. And I actually auditioned for Cats, I think, about 11 times. Really? I was driven. I wanted so badly to be that white cat. I just <laughs> wanted to be the white cat. I, like, would lay in bed dream about the white cat. I would practice being the white cat. And the very first job I ever got in New York, I was a choreographer. I choreographed, because I choreographed for the Follies when I was young. Oh, okay. And I choreographed a Latin Quarter number uh, at the Latin Quarter. They used to have a nightclub act, and I choreographed that. And that's when I met Charlotte Tamboise. And Charlotte Tamboise was the, si you know, the Siamese cat at yes. the time. And I'm like, oh my God, she's a cat! I, like, was, I was a huge <laughs> super fan. Because I was just, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to do Chorus Line. All that I wanted to do, when I saw Cats, I was like, I have to do this show. Oh, I agree. Just so you know, I never did this show. <laughs> I never did Cats. But, but I, 11 times, I mean, I remember sitting back and thinking the, the last time I was going to go for the, another open call. I mean, like the 11th or 12th or 13th time. I'm afraid to really count how many times I went because it's so pathetic. It would, you would just go, wow, that's a pathetic person. No, you were driven. You wanted to, driven you wanted to achieve your but, dream. Um, <laughs> um, T. Oliver, um, um, oh, um, oh, what's his name? Tom, Tom, Tom Reed. Am I saying it? T. My, oh, I can't remember it. My, my brain. Um, I'm going to remember in just a minute. Anyway, he was in charge of cats, and he changed my life. D. Um, What's, oh my goodness, I'm going to tell you in just a minute. That's a menopause moment. But um, he told me to come over here. He goes, Marianne, get over here. Like, and, he, and he goes, you're not going to get cats today. I don't know. And you just don't sing strong enough. But I want you to go down to four, um, 890 right now. And there's an audition for a show that you could possibly write for. And it was song and dance. And I didn't have to sing. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so I went down there. And that With was my, Charlotte Dumbois was yes, in that. Yes, yes. And that, but I met Charlotte before because we auditioned for Jerry Mitchell and um, and and for um, Michael, um, who choreographed Chorus Line. Bennett. Um, Bennett. Michael Bennett was doing Scandal, and I remember um, meeting Charlotte during that audition. And we had just met after I, because I choreographed and danced in that nightclub act. And right. She remembered me, and she turned to me and she said, "When I dance, do I look like a cat?" I'm trying not to, but I've been in cats so long. And I remember thinking, okay, I'll watch her. And then, sure enough, she did. And I said, yes, you do look like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, we bonded. Oh, so, that's so great. Yeah. Well, tell me about Song and Dance. I remember I danced to the soundtrack of it, or the yeah, cast album of it, yeah. when I was young. Yeah. But I didn't really know what the show was, because it has the first act with Bernadette, yeah. and the second act is just Danced. dance. Well, what's cool about it is the first act is all sung. And it's about a relationship between a man and a woman. And it's her version of her relationship 
sung. And then the second act is the relationships version, the male version, which was played by Christopher Demboise. And um, his version of the relationship all danced. Oh, that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it was fascinating. And what was beautiful about it is that Andrew Lloyd Webber had a brother who was a celloist, which is my favorite instrument. And some of that music is so stunning because it has a lot of cello solos in it, and I just loved it. And that was the first time, it was my first Broadway show. I had done Radio City Music Hall before that. I did um, Return to Oz, and we did like a Christmas, uh, not a Christmas show, a uh, um, summer show. Really? Yes, I did a kooky summer show, and it had the Return of Oz movie there. I always want to see that movie. I don't know if they'll ever I think, release. is it the animated one? No. Oh. So I, I, it's for some reason, it's must, it was not a success, so I think it's tucked away somewhere. Oh, okay. But, um, but anyway, um, so Song and Dance was my first, and, and it had a brilliant dancers in it. And I was understudying these brilliant dancers. Yeah, I looked at the cast list and was blown yeah. away by that company. And Michael, um, P Peter Martin was the choreographer. Yeah, I don't know his work. Yeah, he was, you know, at that time a star of the ballet company, you know, okay. New York City Ballet. And and what was amazing about it is is that it was very collaborative. And, and Greg Burge, mm. you know, and Greg Mitchell and... And Kristen Boise was the star of the second act, but he would also, during matinees, have to run up and perform as the star in New York City Ballet and then run back. He did, like, both at the same time. He was, oh, like, brilliant. Oh, my gosh. I've never seen anything like it before, you know. And those people, Valerie Wright, um, Denise Fay, Charlotte D'Amboise, um, you know, Bruce Anthony Davis, um, Eugene Fleming, all those people became my best friends, and they're still my best friends today. Scott Wise, yes, they're still my best friends today. I mean, that group was a really close, you know, close group, and and Marilyn Marilyn Stewart. So that, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I could not believe the talent. I could not believe the talent that was in that room. And you made your Broadway debut as a cover. How was that? Yeah, as a cover, it was perfect for me. Because as a Vegas performer, we had to break that fourth wall and just like live. You know, you have that Thai energy. And I had to learn here to develop style. Oh, okay. And to pull back the energy and storytell. As soon as you step on the stage, you storytell. And who helped me through that is, was Cynthia Rubia. She would, she was a dance captain and she would pull me back and pull me back and coach me. And who taught me really how to partner during that time period was um, Greg Mitchell. I love that man. I love that man oh. too. And he really taught me how to partner. He would look in the mirror because I have this amazing amount of energy that I've always had to control. And he would look in the mirror and he would tap himself and say, who's the man, who's the man? And I'd be like, you are. And then he would say, stop partnering me. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then we'd be dancing again. And then he would stop. Because he would look at the man. Who's the man? Who's the man? I'm like, you are. Oh, so, uh, Well, yeah. actually, to go back to something we talked about a little bit earlier when you wanted to be Gene Kelly. Yeah. You say that some people say you dance masculine. And yes. you take it as an insult? Or no. As a, you are a compliment. Com well, you know what? I have to say something. What I feel like I've learned... Um, is that it's our job as dancers to have both those energies. And, and what I learned, who I learned this from was Jerome Robbins. Because 
I ended up doing, like, we did kind of a work through. He was going to do West Side Story in this environmental piece, and he brought in a whole group of us to do this um, piece. When we did Jerome Robbins Broadway and we did the West Side Story suites, there wasn't in anybody's. Oh, okay. And so he just decided not to put her in there. I don't know why. But I played, like, the scherzo part of her, you know, I played certain parts of her. So when he was putting the SWAT team together, he wanted to do an environmental piece, which he's, again, so far ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just genius. And and where a car would actually pull up an old police car and then you would climb over the fence and the audience would be all around. And you have to remember, this is before they did pieces like this. Yes. And, and he wanted to do it at on 34th Street, there was a hotel that was owned by the Moonies. I know, it's like a religious group, the Moonies. And in that hotel was this huge ballroom that was kind of falling apart. And he wanted to put West Side Story in that ballroom where they could have cars come on stage and, and have the, the audience circling around and that the whole West Side, West Side Story would be part of this environment piece. Oh, so he brought in like a whole group of us, Joanne Hunter and myself and all these people that he had worked with to work out how he would develop this. And I got to play anybody's. And he really pushed me during that time period because this is, he demands you to act first. You're an actor before you do anything. And he's the one who changed me. I always talk about this, but Jerome Robbins, I met him at a perfect time as my, in my career because I was not too young to not understand what he was trying to teach us, but I wasn't too old to shut any of it down. Mm. I came in that room open, and he demanded that from you anyway. But he taught us that dance we do every day of our lives. We're always, when you're full of the most emo uh, emotion, you move, and that's dance. So when you approach that anytime you're physical, it's because you're full of emotion. The most emotion makes you physical, and that's dance. So when you're most angry, you get physical. That's yes. dance. When you're most in love, you will get physical. That's dance. And we do it in life. And I thought th that hit me. So that means every time you dance, you're most full. Yes. Isn't that oh, fascinating? That is fascinating. So uh, in musical theater, the old saying, first you speak, and you don't get what your needs are met. Then you sing, because you get louder. And then you get physical, and that's dance. So the actor wants the same thing. They just build up their need or their want to change the person they're on stage, right? Yes. From that moment on, I started approaching every time I dance is because I am most full. I'm most full emotionally, and that's why I'm moving. I'm most full of what I need to move. Every step has to be a monologue then. That means the choreography that I'm given is a script. It is the words, just like an actor's given um, a script to speak, and he develops his character through that, those words. Then that means the exact same thing for me with movement. And he demanded when I was working on um, anybody's to find her emotional rage, her emotional, her emotional need to fit in. And I had to hook into that masculine energy. Mm. And he's the one who said, 
It's a dancer's responsibility to 100% fully feel and always work in that masculine feminine energy. And it's fascinating because when you watch him dance, he danced everything for us. And when he was a bathing beauty, no one danced the bathing beauty better than Jerome Robbins. Wow. No one danced the strippers in, in um, Gotta Have a Gimmick better than Jerome Robbins. And, but no one also danced riff better than Jerome Robbins because he was able to get into the physicality. And because of that, I'm very strong about um, never judging a dancer on their feminine or masculine energy because where they're living is their truth. And if we really believe it's art, then they're in their truth. Now you can say this this character has more masculine energy and it's your responsibility to capture that. Right. Or vice versa. How would your character live a little bit more in this feminine energy? But I think it's fascinating to that we're like that in life. And for me, it's harder for me to hook into a feminine girl on stage more than a masculine girl on stage. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I mean, I, it's a beautiful way to look at it. I wish casting directors were that open to it as well because yeah. I think that they put you in a box like he's a feminine yeah. dancer he's a masculine yeah. dancer he comes across as gay you know what I mean or yeah. just whatever as opposed to being androgynous yeah. as a dancer and I have to say honestly as an artist we are supposed to tap into all of that yes I mean I one of the most brilliant movies I saw was the Danish girl this year oh beautiful I mean I just when I think about it I can weep you know and and he was able to capture that feminine energy in that in that character. To me, the he that's dance. Ugh. I mean, that's just beautiful. Absolutely. It's, sometimes it's funny because I feel I don't know if you feel this way, but my head is full of geniuses. Mm -hmm. I got very lucky to work with geniuses. Oh, absolutely. Some I mean, of them are famous. Amazing. Some of them are not famous, right? <laughs> yes. But I take what people say to me as directors and choreographers and also other cast members and some of it I take it are teachers and I take it and I'll put it in my back pocket and I'll use it for my whole life and some of it is told and I'll never use it and I'll throw it out but I'm so fortunate the older I get how many great voices are in my head yep. you know and and when I pull them out and when I need them and um, and I I sit back sometimes and I think of those voices that Jerome Robbins have given me and how, how I've used them through my whole life. And how did he come into your life? Um, I did, I actually, it's very interesting, um, well, a whole group of us were doing Carrie and we came in from London. The show opened Thursday, Carrie closed on a Sunday. That Monday we had a, an audition for Jerome Robbins. And I'll never forget that audition. Um, to the day I die, that we all walked in. It was a very small group. He's been now auditioning for like a year, I think. Yeah. And we came in the very end of this audition process because we were in London. And he taught us a combination. The and I'll never forget this. That he taught us a ballet combination and we never did it. Really? And he was like, okay, that's all I need to know. And it wasn't until years later that I realized we didn't have to do it. He, would, he was seeing how we took direction, learning it. Oh, that's tricky. Right, isn't yeah. that cool? Yes. Because 
you don't need to see a finished product. He will get you to the finished product. He wanted to see how he worked with you to get you through the process. And I thought, wow, I wish that more auditions were like that. Oh, me too. Right? Although sometimes I hide in the back and do, yeah. it, do, it, do it very slowly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think a choreographer would like that. Yeah. Like, Why is he hiding in the back? Yeah, I, I know. I just, it, he, I know. I think too, I always tell, I, I, I think auditions are course are their own beast. And I know you know this. Yes. But I think it's important to find out how you audition. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, that energy of I didn't have financial help from f my family because they had so many children and we didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a very difficult man and um, did not support me mm. for my career. And um, so I didn't have financial help. So since I was 16 years old, I had to feed myself and make bills. And um, that energy to come into a room and to say, I, I have to get this job, I'm gonna get this job, is how I ended up working. Is my need to feed myself and pay my bills. And someone said to me, Marion, you're so driven. And one thing, I have a lot of energy. Yes. So um, I think that comes across as drive instead of just being born hyperactive. <laughs> but I, I, I never thought of it as a drive. I always thought that I had to survive. Well, it's interesting because I wanted to ask you about your audition technique because we auditioned together for Sweet Smell of Success. For some reason, they had the men and the women together. together. And they rarely do that. And I remember watching you, and it was it was breathtaking. You <laughs> nailed it, and I was like, wow, now that is how you do it. And you were talking about earlier breaking the fourth wall as a Vegas dancer. You do have something that just pops out, and it gives you a pizzazz, but you are able to do it authentically. Oh, my goodness, I don't know about any of that. Well, I, I mean, that's what I, that's what, from, from a viewer, okay. it's amazing, because you can, like, like give that 100% without it looking like I'm putting on a fake Broadway smile. I just feel like that, that audition process is, again, trying to be an actor in it. Mm -hmm. Like, who am I dancing? Like, how do I feel in that? I try my best to do that. I think that trying to figure out, I'm gonna, trying to figure out how you audition. For me, I will come into a room because I'm dyslexic. Remember, I don't know my right or my left at all. At all. And, and so I, if I had to stand almost right next to the choreographer to learn it. And then when I could figure out, because I had to watch like, oh, and if I didn't have my wedding ring on, ooh, uh, like when I wasn't married, I'd be like, <laughs> I have to put a bracelet on. I would put a rubber band on my, my wrist. Oh, wow. Because I can't, I can't tell my right or my left. And partnering me, I'm a terrible partner. I mean, I have great energy and I, I can move, but can imagine, I'm like a bull in a china. You know, I've broken two noses and I busted my two noses. And one reason why is that I'll be in the middle of something not knowing, am I right or my left? Do I get my right or my left? So you have to understand, I'm kind of like a whirlwind of danger dancing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but what I learned to do is come in and I had to stand right next to the choreographer to learn it. And when I learned it, I would move it in the back and, and then try to perfect it. But I was the one that I could never be in the back row to learn it because with my dyslexia, I'd be in big trouble. Oh. And I also learned something about myself because the way my brain works, I can't mark. 
Because if I mark, again, I, the, the feeling of my right and my left, so I always had to dance full out to feel it in my body because I don't count music. You don't count music? No, I don't count music. That's a tough thing for me. I have to feel it. So I'm a bizarre character that way. So I come out full out. And I, someone once said this to me, Marion, you're like a person who eats the mirror. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> I do. I'll come out and I'll just like eat the mirror. I'm like, I'm so in the mirror. And then I'll move in the back and then I'll come forward. But I had to learn how to audition. Yes. Well, it's, I did. it's a terrible, it terrible process. But And a lot of people are great auditioners and in bad rehearsals. Yeah. Some people are great in rehearsal but have bad auditions. So it's, it's important to figure that out. And the truth is, I never had great auditions. I hate auditioning. Like right now, I, I don't believe... It's funny, I don't believe in like retiring or that you, I think that you're born a dancer and there's no way out of it. None. And, and I don't care how old you are. There's someone, there's no, for me, there's no such thing as, a, you know, when, when, when's your next chapter, when do you turn the next page, I will always be a dancer. Absolutely. To the day I die. I mean, because I am, I'm most happy in a dance studio like I'm standing right now. To me, this is my religion. Me too. This is my spirituality. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but when I walk into a studio, I relax. I definitely do. Like a studio or a theater. Yeah, in our theater. Even if you're walking in and a bunch of, bunch of strangers, all of a sudden you know everyone in that room has something in common. I agree. And like yeah. you feel, and you know what? You could be anywhere in the world, and they could be at any. Technic, technique wise they could be anywhere oh absolutely but you can meet someone and you know that they are us yes even we, if you're a bunch of kids yeah. you're like they're in this they're, they're, they're with us they're with us i yeah. love that we're our community yes i think we're like the coolest i know that we're on the bottom of the food chain in the art world <laughs> but we're to me the coolest group of people yes and we look the same and dress the same and act the same in every nationality yep. and anywhere in the world a plie is a plie mm -hmm. uh tendu bois de bray glissade jeté we have a language we we know each other so well. We can actually, when I was teaching in Mexico City or when I'm, I'm go, you know, going to Japan or wherever I am, anywhere in the world, we find each other. Yes, we We're do. We're like no one else. Absolutely. I agree. But you can tell by the way someone walks sometimes. It's true. And I think that if you said to me, what was your biggest... One thing, when I talked earlier about... Ooh, this is tough. I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but you've—you're so amazing as interviewer because oh, I end up. Thank you. I hate interviews, and I end up feeling like I'm talking to my best friend. But um, when you end up living your life as a dancer like we do, and you try so hard to escape at eight shows a week, I feel like sometimes we can stunt our growth because, in a way, we become um, workaholics. And we escape constantly on that stage. Mm -hmm. And for years and years escaping that, that when you step off that stage, your personal life will suffer. And you can't escape your personal life because that's who you are. That's who you bring yourself on that stage. And um, being a Broadway dancer in the 80s, I told you earlier that the young man that I brought to my the prom 
was also the same best friend that I cherished, my first dance partner, that we came into New York together mm. and did the Playboy Club. He was the same beautiful man, Joe, Joseph Riley, um, that we ended up choreographing for the Latin Quarter. And he is the same gorgeous, talented individual that I held in my arms that died of AIDS. And um, I feel that, and that's who my son's named after. And I feel that some of the people that we lost during that time period going on in Broadway made us step off that stage and really take in life. Yes. And like Chris Chadman and Michael Bennett mm -hmm. and, um, and um, you know, Joe Riley, my very best friend, um, Michael Scott Gregory, some of these people, you know, Kelly Patterson, some of these people that we lost. I sit back sometimes now that I'm older and I think, where would they have taken us? Absolutely. On that stage. And the gift I always say that Joe Riley gave me because I would have not come to New York without him, is that he taught me that you have to balance your life. You can't just go on a Broadway stage while your best friend is dying. We got to, as actors and dancers on Broadway, to have our personal lives be part of our artistry as artists on stage. And I, during that time period, I think that I realized that I have to focus on who I am when I step off the stage and not just who I am on that stage. And that it's really amazing how being a young dancer, you want success so you can actually tell your father, <laughs> this is why I, I work so hard, and I know you didn't want me to do this, but look at what I'm doing. That became my driving force yeah, to tell my father. But I focused so much of that success was who I was. And it wasn't until I started losing friends that I realized, no, life is what you do off stage, and who you are is the same person that you're off stage as you're on stage. And that I gotta, I can't just always escape onto that stage. You know, failed marriages, you know, happen while you're on Broadway. Yes, they do. You know, having children happen when you're on Broadway. Falling in love happens when you're on Broadway. You know, you know, you, uh, you know, we, I, I remember in Susical, oh, I can't believe it, Susical, I always am ashamed of my behavior in Susical. I always want to tell Kathleen Marshall and Rob Marshall and, everyone who's involved with Susicle, how sorry I am, the way I behaved during that time period. And, and because I was losing my father at the time, mm. and there's no excuse for not ever walking into a dance studio open. Cheetah Rivera never says no in a dance studio. She says yes. Yes, she does. Karen Ziemba never says no in a dance studio. 
she says yes. Charlotte Dubois, and I've been in many dance studios, never says no. You have to walk into a dance studio in a creative process and just be open and say yes. Because one negativity can shut down the creative process of your choreographer, your director, your writer, your composer, the yes, person but, next to you. Yes. And I learned that lesson the hard way. I shut down a little bit in, in Susical and I had a really good friend that turned to me and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you acting like that? Why, why do you have a bad attitude in that? And I, and that was Bobby Bianca. Wow. And his honesty changed me. And I realized, he said, don't do that. You're not that. You're a better artist than ever shut down anyone's process. You go into a studio and open your heart. And um, you have to give yourself a break a little bit. Your, your no, father was dying too. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, it's true. But that's when I. What my story is. That's where when I stepped off of um, the stage and I saw my understudy in my outfit, and I and I and they said, Marion, you know, and I'm in the middle of a show, and I'm like, something happened. My father died during Susical, and I remember thinking. I have you have to be honest because you don't get to divide yourself right you don't always get to escape you don't get to go okay my father's done I'm gonna just do this new show you know yeah. and that was my lesson my lesson was as an artist we take ourselves onto that stage mm -hmm. and we take ourselves off that stage and and I know this sounds like I'm rambling but that's what the lesson I also learned during the AIDS epidemic is that that was my gift that Joe Riley gave me was to go live your life. Don't sacrifice everything for one show because every show closes. We don't close. Right. People don't close. So that during that AIDS time shaped me as a person. Going and seeing Chris Chadman die in a hospital shaped me as who I am today. I, my mother, who's 98 now, said to me during that AIDS epidemic, you're like me, an older person where your friends were dying around you. Mm. And I thought, it's true. Yes. And that shapes you. Definitely. So I learned, I, I, I learned that we can't just become two people. We're always the same person on stage as off stage. You don't get to escape. No. How you do one thing is how you do the other. Exactly. So I always feel that um, sometimes it's okay when you don't work for a long time. Which is important for me to hear, especially right now in my mm -hmm. life, because I'm not doing a Broadway show and I haven't done one in a while. Yeah. And my validity is plummeting. I feel like, oh, I'm so worthless. I'm not doing, uh, I'm not getting paid for my art. Yet the stuff I'm doing for me personally and creatively yeah. Yeah. is so inspiring, but I don't, because I'm not necessarily getting a paycheck for it, I feel like it doesn't count. And look what you're doing. Oh, exactly. I mean, you, are, you have started this amazing blog. I mean, are they called blog? I don't know what they're called. Oh, it's a podcast. Yeah, but broadcast. But it, yeah. I mean, you've, you have created this amazing journey, and now you're going about to go into, you know, 405, which is a creative process where you get to bring your forth there's there's a time i think 
you're, you know, you're very young, but there's a time where <laughs> we you. also take our responsibility of being creators. Absolutely. As artists. And sometimes you got to step out of it all and, and, and feel yourself. Because it's easy to keep doing eight Broadway shows. Absolutely. You're doing the same yeah. thing every night. You get to, you know, and of course it's money. We need the money. And also it is what we do. If you're a plumber, you're fixing pipes. And all of a sudden we're not getting to fix pipes. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you're like, ah, wait, I don't get to fix pipes. Yes. But then we, as true artists like you are, you're never going to stop creating. Absolutely. And look at what this creation is doing. And it's making me me happier, which in turn will make my, it's yeah. making my auditions better. It's making my callbacks better because I'm walking yeah. in feeling that I'm working on myself. Yeah, and I also think, like when I'm looking at you right now, it's fascinating to me, but we don't, we don't become dancers to become celebrities. No. We don't become dancers to be rich and famous. It's just, it's very rare and very difficult, and that's not why you're here. But you're so well known right now <laughs> in New York. <laughs> For having this broadcast, I know it's it's interesting. You become like I knew you before, before you asked me, just because I've heard of this. That's amazing. And you're quite well known, and it's like it's funny how you feel like the shows give you success, but the truth is your creativity never stops. Never stops in a show or out of the show. Yeah, it keeps going, keeps which I going. love about you because you don't sit around waiting for the phone to ring. You're, you're creating things, you have groups, you have your partnership with Lisa Gaida that you choreograph. You're making stuff happen. You're in rooms with other dancers choreographing. That's amazing. Well, I think that we all do that and that's what you're doing too. I think that, I think it takes a minute. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not, I just know myself and this is a tough thing. I married the second time the right man for me. <laughs> I have a brilliant artist husband who is a professor of literature and we write together and he's also a folk singer who writes music and we have three kids that we've raised and um, a lot of sacrifices happened because he married me and I have to be an artist first mm. and a wife second and is he all right with that? Yes, because he's an artist first too. Because that's who I am. I, Jerome Robbins one time said to us, you can't be an artist unless you've been invested 20 years, and I never got it. But when you realize after you've been doing something for 20 years and how much sacrifice there is, I believe it now. Mm. And I have to create. Because when I'm not moving, if I'm not dancing, if I'm not in a room, I can slowly start getting depressed. Yes. And if you are married to a depressed person and as a mom to a depressed mom, that's not fun. But when I'm creating and I'm out doing my life, I'm happy. And my husband's happy and my children are happy. Uh. I have to create. And I realized that it used to be a bad thing, like you always put your family first. And you always, but the truth is, as artists, you put your fir- you put your we have to go first. Yes. Because that's what we are. We're these wacky freaks. Yep. We, for some reason, are born <laughs> this way, yes. right? Yes. And that when we're creating, that's when we are happy. And I'm not saying that, of course, you know, like if my husband's sick or my family's sick or my mom's sick or whatever, I'm there for yeah. my family. But I also have to feed me. Mm. Yes. Well, how has being a mother changed 
you as a performer? Because you had one child at a very young age, is that correct? No, I am old in every aspect when I had them all. When all of them? <laughs> well, one thing, my oldest son is my stepson, and he's 28 years old, David. And then my son, I, and he's Dominican, which is a beautiful Spanish boy, which I love so much. And then my middle child is Connor, and he's named after my dad, you know, yes. Joseph, um, Connor Riley, that was... Um, my dance partner, and um, he is six two, long blonde hair, beautiful, and um, you know, is Norwegian. My husband's hundred percent Norwegian, and then I have this beautiful, drop dead gorgeous daughter who's twelve years old, and she's from China. I adopted her from China. Oh wow! And so I've spread them way out so I can <laughs> dance in between, you know, and keep my life going. But um, and they came to me in three different ways: a stepchild. I birthed one, and the other one I adopted all across, the, and I love them all equally, the exact same. Oh. And that's one thing I, I the, what has changed me is, is I feel like I'm a mother to every child I see. I love teaching children. Mm. I love to teach. And I remember when I did curtains, I knew that I needed to explore teaching because I love children so much. I mean, nothing makes me happier than being in a room with teenage girls. Nothing. Really? I, I think most people run from that I know. room. <laughs> I, love, I love my favorite ages between the age of 15 and um, probably 15 and 21 because they're so complex. They're fascinating. They, they keep me on my toes. You know, I just, I just love, I love children. And that changed me. Family changed me a lot. Um, it made me, again, focus on the world off the stage. They don't care how many shows you did. No. They don't care. You know, if they want to, you know. And I'm going to tell you honestly, I have to work really hard to put my kids through school. Yeah. I have to, I mean, I don't, again, I, someone, oh, you're so driven. Driven? I'm trying to pay the bills. I might, I'm going to dance until my legs fall off because I'm back. I'm still paying the bills. I mean, I got to support a family. Yes. You know, that's, I, I love this whole thing about being driven, the competitive thing. I never competed against anybody. My, I am a complete talent whore. Are you a talent whore? Like yes, and this, it's a weakness we have. Yes, it is. I look at someone talent, and I'm like, I want to be your best friend. Yes, I'm like, I'm like I, want to, I want you to marry me. Me too. I'm I like, want to learn everything from you. I'm, I'm like, will you marry me? Yeah. I'm like that way. I don't I mean, know Scott Weiss, but I saw him on audition yeah. recently, and I like. I got yeah. a fan crush, and I was yeah. like talking to him, and he was talking back, like he knew me, and he had no idea that yeah. I, he didn't know me. Yeah. And I just, because I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is so talented. Me too. I'm that way. I'm, oh. I hate to say it, but look at my girlfriends. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like madly in love with my girlfriends. Oh, they're... and so and these are girls that I would be on the line uh, auditioning for, and I would want them to get it just as much as I get it. Just, just to stand next to them makes me feel like, feel like I'm, I'm more talented. Yes. Than I am. I'm like, because I'm. You know, we all know our limitations and our talent. I mean, I know mine. I look at someone like Charlotte D'Amboise. She is so talented. So talented. I mean, like, she, her acting, her just, she's, she, she, her dancing, her, her acting, her singing. I mean, she's so talented. Joanne Hunter, you know, she, um, and I laugh because Lisa Gaida is one of the most intelligent, talented women I know. Oh, she's, I agree. She always acts like she's the worst actor. I'm like, you're a brilliant. 
yes. You know, you just like, you know, all my girlfriends, Nina Goldman, they're like brilliant. And I put my focus on them when I would see them in a, a dance studio going, I love them. Yes. I like fall in love with their talent. You know, I fall in love with talent, you know. I Me just too. love it. I just, yeah. you know, and, and anyway. That's, well, you mentioned having brilliant minds in your head. Uh, you also worked with Agnes DeMille, is that correct? Oh my goodness, I did. Well, I didn't, I worked with her at a very young age. I can't believe you're bringing that up. That must have came from... That's um, from Gaida. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, um, I was in Seattle, Washington at the time. And I was, I would say I was like, um, I don't know, maybe 16. I don't know how old I was. I was in the, those, those crazy teenage years. And Agnes Mill came to Seattle. She was in the wheelchair at the time and taught um, the original choreography of Oklahoma. Oh, my gosh. And it was one of the very first times that I understood that you act first. You know, like this whole acting to move. Because when you're a young dancer you think technique 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 yes we have to get this craft we got to get technique and then you meet Agnes DeMille and she's like okay I don't care about technique I want you this movement has to feel this is what this movement is telling you and I remember the heartbeat from you know, mm. the ballet and and she broke it down and she was tough but she broke it down it was almost like again acting beats and um, and that's when I went, wait a minute. And it's hard at that age. That's what I was saying about how important it was to meet Jerome Robbins when I did. Yes. Because it's hard at that age to, at a young age, to figure out that, wait, I don't think about my arabesque. Think about why I'm doing the arabesque. Because at a certain age, you're, you're really placing. You want to please so bad. I mean, we are the clay right. to a choreographer who's the sculpture are the writer and then to not think how, technically how to get there but get there from the inside out the emotional of it and and when I when I was with Agnes DeMille at that time it was very hard for me to go from the inside out I but it was the first time I was like wow she's approaching this different it, that's why when I met Jerome Robbins when he completely lives that way that you go okay mm. Okay, because I was at the age where I was like, okay, I get this. Yes. Still struggling with Agnes DeMille at that time. Right. But that was the first time I heard someone say, you got to work from the inside out. This step has to mean something. And then that, that inner monologue goes to the next. And you're like, what on earth is an inner monologue? <laughs> you know? what, yes. Do I go to the fifth, to the fourth? You know, you like, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. It's like, it's so fascinating. And then how did you apply that when you got to work with Fosse? Okay, well, one thing, I never got to work with Bob Fosse personally, and I always was hugely disappointed. He died when I did um, Starlight Express. Mm. And I remember, I know that the whole world felt lost but every dancer in the world oh I yes think our, didn't, didn't you feel like all of a sudden I'll never get to my work heart with was cold yes I was like all of a sudden I'm like cold and yeah and um but who my Bob Fosse was and it was um Gwen Verdon and um Anne Reinking um was really you know in that whole group um Dana Moore those were my Bob Fosse's mm. were uh, when when I did Chicago you know, B.B. Newworth and um, um, 
who danced um, Fosse like no one danced was Wayne Salento. Oh, yes. You know, and also Bruce Anthony Davis. I mean, I did Chicago with Bruce, and I remember watching him, and I was like, wow, that is Fosse. Because I think that sentences that Gwen Verdon said to me during that time period really stayed with me forever. One of them is, don't work for the audience, let the audience come to you. Mm. So when you're doing a long, because I've been very fortunate, I did some very long running hits on Broadway. And, but what's fortunate about that is that you get, you know, you really get to live in a part for a long time. But also the hard part is after a year in the part, how do you, or six months in the part, how yeah. do you keep it going, right? And, and those voices would come up in the middle of stage. I'd be like, wait a minute, I'm working way too hard. Let, me, let the audience come to me. You know, like, our, you know, our, our focus on the person that's giving you that step. What is that person giving you? What, what do you need from that person emotionally? Mm. Like constantly, she would say, get in that power of stillness. Put as much energy into stillness, more energy than it is in the step that you're about to do. What she said, one thing that blew my mind was it takes, you have to put so much more energy into the transition than the step. You have to live between the steps. You know, and you're like, wow, that, as a young dancer, that doesn't mean a lot to you. No. As an older dancer, you totally get it. Absolutely. Because truly, the in between the steps is where the meat is. Yes. Not the Bama. Yes. Getting to the Bama. Well, your Bama's are pretty, well, pretty amazing. My favorite number in Fosse, and I saw the show twice, was your duet with Andy oh, Blankenbuehler. Yeah, I love that so much. I loved it. But I heard you didn't have any cartilage in your knees when you joined Fosse. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't now. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> oh I'm so old. I mean, you have to think that I've been dancing hard, um, you know, since I was 15. And, and I was, you know, I'm older. I'm, I mean, I'm 50, I'm going to be 57 this year. I'm like, I'm almost 60 and like, oh, I've you been don't dancing. Look well, you're so sweet. Wow. But I've been dancing um, hard. And so by the time I got to Fosse, I had, I, I still don't have cartilage. Like, I can really dance really hard on my knees, but I have to be careful because um, I, I laugh. I have to tell you, there's a famous, I know everybody knows Dr. Bellman. He's a famous oh, yeah. dance doctor and he teased me the last time I was in there because he says Marianne I went to get your file it's the size of the New York phone book <laughs> it's, like, it's like huge it's like huge it's like okay like cyclopedia Marianne Lamb encyclopedia is coming out but yeah I, I and so I the idea like the fawns you know when you do a fame of those fawns oh yes and people would be like oh my knees I never felt my knees oh wow I just have none well, I'm going to uh, wrap this up shortly, okay, yes. but um, so I was going to guess that maybe one of your career highs was doing the Chicago movie. I mean, if you bought yourself out, how was that experience? I do have to say one thing. I, I got very lucky. I got to work with Rob Marshall several times in my career. With Forum as well. Forum, um, um, Promises, Promises. With that. And, and I, did, I did. I did a lot of encores. I actually, you know, and several of them worked with Rob. And to me... Rob Marshall is just the genius. Everybody knows he's a genius. Yes. He's just a genius. And I got to work with John DeLuca, who's also a genius. I mean, both of them together is like unbelievable. And they're both director choreographers. So what a marriage, right? And his sister is brilliant. Yes. Kathleen Marshall. So I got to work with Rob a lot. So I knew him. And as remember, as a child, and I, I, I laughed too, because I don't know if Charlotte's going to remember this, but I turned down Dirty Dancing, the movie. 
<laughs> really? Yes. I think about it. Like, when you think about the things that you turned down, and I took, I got two, there was two movies offered at the same time, when, and I got Dirty Dancing offered at, at the same time that The In Crowd did. And Charlotte got the star of The In Crowd. So I was like, I don't know who Kenny Ortega is, but I do know who Jeffrey Hornaday is because he ah. just did Flash Dance. So I turned down Dirty Dancing, the movie, and took the in crowd. So you don't always make great choices. <laughs> no, you, you, sometimes you don't. Right. But I always, since I was a little girl, because I used to watch all those movies. Oh, me too. And every movie, like Sid Charisse, I watched every movie. I wanted to do um, a Broadway musical on a movie. I've always wanted to do them. And um, so... When I had that, when I got offered Chicago as the movie, I, it didn't, you could, I would have paid billion dollars to get out of my contract because I had that fantasy since I was a little girl wanting to be Gene Kelly yes. in a movie. And I have to tell you, it was brilliant. Every inch of doing that movie was so exciting. And, and to, I just, and, and the way Rob Marshall set that up, he, he actually, we shot it in the order of rehearsal. We did a, actually like, almost like we're putting up a show. We did six weeks of rehearsal, then we shot it in that order. So you really, we really came together as a family. It was a brilliant experience. I mean, I just think, and everything he touches is so beautiful. I he agree. has a beautiful eye. And he's one who, and I know that he worked with Bob Fosse, and he worked. He was associate with Graziella, and he's you know brilliant, brilliant growing up, also a brilliant dancer. But he never calls us dancers. He approaches every single person on that stage as an actor. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. The um, AC, <coughs> who's like the stage manager of film, called all the. All the extras to the stage, and I'll never forget this. He's so sweet because um, Rob's very quiet, and he said, "There's no extras in my movie; they're all actors." And so it set the tone. So everyone worked for him because he respected everyone on that set. He re he and his detailing. He details to every single person's hair, to clothes. His detail is extraordinary, but his respect. And, uh, and that's the one thing that when you look, like Jerome Robbins, as tough and crazy as he was, and people talk about him, but for me, his detail, if you were on 16, you had to work just as hard as when you're on zero. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter who, where you were on that stage. And to me, that, that's all I wanted to be was a dancer, and I didn't care if because I, I learned from them. It didn't matter if you're on sixteen, no, or zero. I was part of this group. Yep. And to me, that's art. So. Well, thank you so much. This yeah. is an amazing interview. Thank you. If you could pick one song from your career that you would love to end this with, what would it be? Go, sister, soul, sister, go, sister. Done. I think definitely. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you very much.